Hi, Dad. Hi, Celine. Did you know that you and I are about the same age if you count time living in the world? What do you mean? Well, as you know, I left a high-control religious group around the time you were born. So you're in your 20s then? <laughs> well, maybe in my head. The thing is, though, because I had all of my beliefs about morals, science, politics, religion, philosophy provided for me, I spent the last 25 years trying to work out what I should think about a whole bunch of stuff and work out what's going on. No one knows what's going on, Dad. <laughs> well, I think it's about time we did. What Should I Think About is a podcast that sets off on a lofty goal to make sense of the complicated, contradictory, confusing but wonderful thing we call the world. Hi and welcome to What Should I Think About? I'm Stephen. I'm Sarah. Okay, so welcome back Sarah. Obviously Celine's not with us today, um, but it's a real pleasure to welcome back Celine's mum, my missus, uh, Sarah. Thanks for coming back on the show. Oh, always a pleasure. Great. Okay, so we're going to talk about a film today, aren't we? We're going to talk about the film Gaslight. Mm. So we've just watched it. Literally just watched it. That's right. Um, so Gaslight is a film that essentially has given the name to... It's It's been made into a verb. Uh, there is actually a name for that, I didn't realise, when I was looking up on Wikipedia. Um, good old Wikipedia. Good old Wikipedia. The name, um, to make a, a noun into a verb, it's to denominalise it. And that's what it's done. I don't know if you should even try and say that. No. <laughs> so it's a bit like texting, you know, because mm. the word text isn't really a verb, but we've made it into a verb. So the same goes for gaslighting. Gaslight isn't a verb. Right. But we've made it into a verb. Interesting. It really is, isn't it? <laughs> moving on it's what people come on to what should I think about for isn't it yeah okay so anyway um, Gaslight the film um, there's two versions of Gaslight uh, one in 1940 which was a British made film and then a, a Hollywood remake in 1944 um, so we're going to review the first one which apparently is closer to the original story so what did you think about the film first I suppose that, that might be a good way to start I actually enjoyed watching it thought it was actually a really good film yeah. um, not something I would have ever have thought about watching even if I stumbled across it you know, mm. while flicking through the various streaming channels that we've got I probably wouldn't have stopped and thought oh, I'll watch this no but it's actually really really good film it's good for, considering it's 1940 as well I mean, yeah. yeah of course it's a bit dated and you know some of the some of the acting in it is a bit wooden, I guess, at times. Well, but it's it, not bad, is it? For no, no. The, the lead um, female character, um, who is it now? Ingrid Ingrid Bergman. No, 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 no. Ingrid Bergman was the, in the remake. So the one oh, we saw was Diana Winyard um, and Anton Walbrook as the male character. Um, so Anton Walbrook is the character Paul. His wife is Bella played by Diana Winyard. And then there's a, a kind of retired detective character called B.G. Ruff, and he's Frank Pettingel. Pettingel. So, yeah, these actors I didn't really have much knowledge of. Obviously, the the one that was then done in, um, in America was big stars like Ingrid Bergman, right. as you say. Mm. Um, but I thought, yeah, I thought they played the, the parts really well. 
Um, in particular, she did. I she thought. did, yeah. You felt very moved by her. Character. So, what's the plot? Well, you've got this husband and wife, um, and the husband basically is making this poor woman feel like she's going mad, mm. deliberately trying to do that to her to the point where she she actually believes she's starting to go mad. Yeah, that's right. So the, uh, the this couple move into a house, don't they, that's got a bit of history. There's been a murder there. Which is the start of the film, isn't that's it? That's right. That's how the film started. Yeah. You see this murder take place. That's right. And for its time, I mean, it was maybe 1940, but it's quite graphic in that you see the murder happen. Mm-hmm. It's quite disturbing. Um, and you obviously don't see who's carried out the murder, but this old woman is, is strangled in her own home. And he ransacks the house, basically, doesn't That's he? That's right. Which you just don't understand. You don't really know what's happening there. Um, and then there's a clever little filming device that, that tells you that quite a long time has passed, a few years have passed, and this couple move in, Paul and Bella. Bella. And, um, yeah, quite soon you start to take a dislike to Paul, don't, don't you, really? He's, they don't hide the fact that he's a bit of an arsehole. Well, I instantly disliked him. <laughs> he just had that look about him of being a total wanker. Sorry, excuse me. It's all right. <laughs> We're an adult podcast. <laughs> yeah, he's he's not very nice. Um, and she's very doting over him. She obviously wants to please him a lot. And as you quite rightly said, there's, a, there's some very obvious um, attempts by him to make her believe she's going mad. So what sort of things does he do? I should say, I've seen this film twice, and you've only seen it once. Yeah, so you might remember a few so, more yeah. than me, even though I've only just watched it. You know, I've got mm. a short memory, so bear with me. Um, he he deliberately takes things and hides them. Yeah. Um, so there's one bit where he... Um, it's happened a few times before, so he's taken a picture off the wall, which mm. is quite a big thing to do. And he's done it before, obviously, we find out. And he sort of says um, to her, doesn't he, if if you correct this within mm. the next few minutes, mm. then we'll talk no more of it. That's right. And she's got no idea what he's talking about. And she's sort of, you know, sort of putting her heads to her, sorry, her hands to her head and trying to think what he's, he must be talking about. And then he says, look at the wall behind you. And then she realises the picture's gone. That's right. And he's um, telling her basically... She's took it, took it. She's put the picture somewhere. She's hid it, and yeah. she's convinced she hasn't. That's right. But then all of a sudden, they walk out of the room, and she goes to where the picture is. Um, and he says that's because you've done it before. That's right. Um, and you can see the pure distress in this woman's face because she's in the moment she's convinced that she's not done it. Mm. She has no memory. She of has no memory of picture. it. And but. It, he's convincing her that it, yeah. it, that she's done this again. Same goes for his watch. Same goes for a brooch. So you know, there's there's lots of these little events where he keeps saying to her, you know, you, it's happening again, isn't it? You know, and and he convinces her like, like oh, it's you, you've had that dream again. You've had a dream again. Yeah, you've dreamt this has happened. Mm. He's making a doubt her grip on reality, so mm. that she's not quite sure whether she's dreaming whether she's awake and whether her memories are real. So he's undermining her her very psyche, isn't he? He's, he's doing that through this 
this process. So gaslighting then, well, I suppose the question is, what's that, that got to do with gaslight? She is in a room and her lights keep dimming. Of course, this is in a time when uh, there were no electric lights. Lighting was done by gas, therefore they had a gas feed. And what she keeps noticing is that her lights keep dimming at a certain time of night. Mm. But again, this is part of the uh, the psychological warfare that is going on with her, that she starts to think she's imagining that as well. And she can hear footsteps. So she can hear footsteps above her in a part of the house that he's actually blocked off. So there should be nobody up there, but she can hear footsteps and the lights dim. Mm. So she starts to doubt that she's actually experiencing that. And that's another part of her, the attack on her. So I think that's that's why it's called gaslighting. So it's that that's a part of that game that he's playing with. It's making her feel like she's going insane. So this this fear of going insane, we were talking about this when the film was on. Um, it would have been really terrifying, wouldn't it, at that time? Yeah, like we said, for particularly a woman at um, yeah nineteen forties, wasn't it? We said so. Yeah. Um, asylums, which is what That's he right. threatens mm. uh, her with all the time. You know, saying that if you know she doesn't get better and doesn't sort herself out, basically, mm. he's going to have her committed to an asylum. Yeah. Um, and these places back in the day were horrendous. Mm. Um, you know, I think worse than prisons, really, and full of people that were literally insane mm. um and then obviously some people like herself that end up there or could have ended up there through no fault of her own um and wasn't actually insane at all but ended yeah. up in in a place where she probably would have gone insane the, the way they were treated was awful yeah. wasn't it yeah literally locked up and um yeah. i think part of um him as well there's this controlling aspect mm. isn't there mm. that comes into play that I think that's why I took an instant dislike to him because yeah. very early on in in the um, the thing uh, in the film, sorry, they're walking back. I think they've been to church and they were right. walking back. Um, I might have got this slightly wrong, but um, they had a conversation outside the door about visiting mm. some of the neighbours, and she right. said, "Oh, it might be nice if we call on the neighbours." Blah de mm. blah de blah, and he said, "No, that's not right here mm. in London." Mm. And she sort of questioned him. Um, and I suppose he's like thinking that's undermining. And he says, no, I said, no, we're not going. Mm. So that was the first indication to me that he's actually um, quite a controlling um, husband as well. He doesn't want her to have any say in what she can do, where she can go. He doesn't like her going out yeah. on her own. He, he caught her out once on her own mm. um, in the film and just basically <laughs> dragged her out of the place almost and won't let her open any of her own mail. Yeah. Um, so anything that's addressed to her, she got a letter um, from her cousin, I think mm. it was, mm. and um, he hid it, he took it away. Mm. Um, so she basically was... Well, she was like a prisoner, really. Mm. Um, mm. She could only go out with him and when he thought it was appropriate or when he wanted to take her out and be seen with her. And he was also having a bit of a fling. Yeah. Um, not full-on sexual fling, but um, with the ha- one of the housekeepers. That was It was that on was its a, way, wasn't it? Yeah, it was quite yeah. A bit, she was quite a bizarre character, wasn't she? Actually, um, she Na- was a... Nancy. Nancy. She was a really interesting character, wasn't she? Um, she played... A really unsympathetic part, yeah. but she was very funny in a way. She was, mm. uh, 
she was just um, she didn't have any conscience about the fact that she was flirting with uh, obviously another what she thought was another woman's husband and um, yeah she didn't really care she just was enjoying the, the, the attention and and the fun so that that's quite an interesting character I think she played that really well yeah that's right he was um, he was a philanderer as well um, I mean what we start to find out so I mean we should have said this at the beginning but obviously there's spoilers in this the film is like you know 80 years old it's too late to worry about spoilers as Celine would always say um, but yeah if you really want to watch the film without knowing anything about it then obviously uh, we we rented it on um, Amazon Prime so it's quite easy to get hold of um, but what we find out is that the the murder that we saw at the beginning of the of the film was actually carried out by her the, the victim's nephew and that is him that is uh, Paul and he's the one who did the killing he's now come back to the house to try and find some precious stones some rubies i think it is that he couldn't find when the actual killing happens that's why he's back um we find this out through the work of this other character this other main character in the film who is is called rough um i mean i think there's a play on words there because he is kind of rough isn't he and he's he's very he's a very likable character um but he starts to the old detective in him starts to come out and uh, start trying to work out. He actually recognises him because he was around when the original murder happened. Yeah. He was actually a detective and he at rec- the time. He, at the very beginning of the film, as I say, back in that scene with the church, mm. he um, he recognises him, doesn't he? That's it, yeah, yeah, he recognises him. And that's what... When he was a peeler, did you notice that? A peeler? Yeah, do you know what that means? No. So, um, uh, you may or may not know this, but um, the police were named in in the UK um, as far as I understand it the police service kind of as it's imagined it kind of started in in London by uh, Sir Robert Peel who was the either prime minister or the home office minister who introduced the idea of, of the police service and that's why police in London are sometimes called bobbies uh-huh. Sir Robert or they used to be called Peelers because that's it was named after him. Always an interesting fact to be Again, had. Again, and here. No, that's why you come. Yeah, to... <laughs> that's it. Um, being educated. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, that's right. He he recognised him, and that's what got him got him thinking about it. I'm sure that's um, a name that that he didn't he wasn't going by anymore. And he beca- he cares about this um, Bella as well, yeah. though, because I said he he um, was in this shop with Bella. On, on this occasion where she shouldn't have been really out and about on her own and certainly not um, talking to people and, you know, having a nice time. And he witnessed, obviously, Bella's husband come in and basically yeah. drag her away. Mm. And I think that was the first indication of the fact that he didn't like this guy either. Yeah. Um, he didn't hide that fact. And obviously, then finding out and realising who it was, he, I think he became genuinely concerned for her welfare, her well-being, her safety. yeah. Yeah, he was. Um, yeah, he. he I mean, the, the character. The, I suppose that this is the way the older films used to be. You didn't really get into the character, so you didn't really understand him as a character. He wasn't any depth, but he was just a. Yeah, you, you got the feeling that he did care about her, but he was also very, evuncular. You know, he just kind of enjoyed 
the whole process of trying to to find out what was going on. Um, so he recognised this guy called Paul, Paul Mallon, as Louis Bauer, which was the, the nephew of the woman that had been killed. So that's how we get to find out about actually, yeah, this is what this is what this character has been doing. So clearly he's a con man. Um, he's married this woman for her money so that he can get into this house so that she can pay for this house and try and find these rubies. That's what he really wants. And obviously it's in his interest to try and get rid of her now. She's not really of any use to him anymore. And so this is what he's trying to do. He's trying to make her feel that she's going insane and to actually drive her into what in those days was an insane asylum. Um, so that's that's where the gaslighting, the idea of gaslighting comes from. Um, what's happening at night is he's going into this area that he's locked away and he's trying to find these rubies. That's why his wife can hear him clomping around upstairs. And as he turns the gas lights on upstairs, it means that the gas lights dim in the rest of the house, which is what she's seeing. So it's that gaslight dimming that she's noticing, um, hence the name of the of the film. So I think it's important to understand what this this phrase is specifically about one person or one party trying to make the other person accept something that is clearly not true and start to doubt themselves for not believing it. So it's obvious that she's not hiding things, but she starts to believe it. And if she's going to believe that, then it means that it must be her that's going mad. It must be her fault. It must be her that's wrong. Therefore, she accepts it and she's in the process of accepting that it's her that's wrong and yeah and coupled with that the fact that she does i think she does care about him of course she, she loves, loves him, him so yeah. she's trying to please him as well because she's very um you know at points in the film she's begging with him isn't she not yeah. to be so angry with her yeah. you know she can't help it mm. she wants him to help her that's right so while he's doing all these things he's sort of implanting in her as well that he's also trying to help her so it's feeding it they're feeding into each other as well i suppose aren't they absolutely um and and i suppose that um thinking about the way that so this this podcast we're just recording this um just after i've recorded the interview with min from the coercive control um chat magazine and it's kind of, I suppose in some respects, this is like a two-parter in, in that respect, because I do mention this film. And she talks about the, the methods that coercively controlling partners, what the methods they use, what they actually do. And a lot of it you can actually see in this mm. film. So it's more than just that. It is the things that you're talking about. The manipulation, the, the making her feel like she's isolated. Well, she is isolated. She knows nobody there. And she needs him. She needs That's him. That's all she's got, exactly. basically. Yeah, mm. yeah. Um, it's actually done really, really well. Mm. If you watch that film, you can see it all there, laid out, really, um, the way that, that a coercively controlling partner um, might go to work on, on their partner. I think it's really, it's actually a really good um, but quite um, terrifying description of it in many ways 
So uh, a couple of things I wanted to ask you about. Uh, one is how society in the 1940s might have created the conditions where that was fairly easy to do because of the way that relationships, men and women, were thought about and the way that society treated men and women. Did you notice any of that stuff? Yeah, I mean, you know, not just uh, from that film, really. I mean, from many films that you Mm. watch um, from that time period. Um, It's always like, you know, the man is literally like the head of the house. Mm. Um, The man goes out to work. The man provides the money that puts the food on the table. Um puts the clothes on the woman's back literally mm. um so and even she, if it's not because in this case we learn that it's her money yeah you didn't know that no. though, did you but it's still accepted that he he was in control mm. of the house basically yeah. of the household and literally in this case just her they didn't have children did mm. they oh they had a dog oh yes they had a little it. dog yeah, yeah. T- tilly i think the dog was called mm. um but he even controlled her relationship with the dog, That's didn't right. he? Yeah, Which yeah. I didn't like. That's and at one point, point, I thought he was going to do something really horrible to this I dog. I know, there were some hints that yeah. he was. Yeah, mm. and you know, you could imagine him doing it as well, couldn't you? Mm. So he, he used the dog as well in this um, coercive relationship mm. because she loved this dog. She carried it around with her everywhere, didn't she? And yeah. he, he hated that. Mm. And maybe that was because he was a bit jealous. I don't know. Yeah, although I think part of me, I think he quite liked the fact that he had that over her because he. It was another way of controlling. Another tool, wasn't it? Mm. That he could use. Mm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But I think that was just the general. Back in the day, that's Mm. how women. That's horrible to think that, isn't it? But that's how women were treated. Yeah. But also that back in the day, that I don't think they minded it. That was just accepted. It was, it was just that was just the way it was. The way it was I mean, maybe it? some mm. did. There might have been an, an odd few, a minority of women that would mm. kick back against that. But I didn't. Sorry, the general um, feeling was that's how how relationships, men and women's relationships, mm. worked back then. Yeah. Um, you know, when women kind of sucked up to their husbands, mm. <laughs> whether it was in private or public. Yeah. You know, it's strange because we're not like that we're so yeah we, we see it as as odd but i think it does it, it did mean that yeah he he did have all the cards you know at the beginning um i'm not saying that a woman wouldn't have been able to do something like that back in that time but i think it would have been much more difficult yeah. but like you said it's really strange because as well she she actually was the one with the money yeah but once it's once it's his he's got he's got his he's got the uh, his hands around it, I think, yeah, very difficult for for her practically and, and socially, really, to to wield that control, to say, no, no, we're not going to do that, we're going to do this with the money. I just don't think that would have been um, Well, no, she did comment, did she, that she never wanted to go to that house. She did, and this is at a point where she starts to make one or two little stands, doesn't she? Yeah. There's a sense that she is recognising something but it she soon it soon goes back really to to where she mm. was before but there are one or two moments where you think yeah go on yeah because she kept mm. at one point there was a scene one where she kept saying it's it's only since i came here it's only since we came here that i've started being like this that's right it's this house yeah you know yeah so. yeah i think the other thing is is um the way that the film goes you know she unfortunately she never does until 
right at the end where he's actually tied up she never really does stand up to him it's it's another man basically coming into the scene and actually rescuing her um and i think that's something that modern films you wouldn't see that now i think or if you did it would be commented on um you would hope that the narrative would be much more agency to the woman to be able to say you know actually i'm gonna make a stand here i'm, I'm gonna take control i'm gonna of take this. control yeah. yeah but back then that just wasn't really mm. considered it had to be another man who'd spotted something and who'd thought about it now wasn't he clever you know yeah. he sort of sorted it and, out and i know you want to sort of bring um something else to this um mm. discussion in a minute but just like at the end of the film i really did like the fact that she turned it on him though didn't she mm. so you know she picks this knife up at one point doesn't yeah. she um, because he says oh, well, let me know it's only just us in the room yeah. now so cut me out mm. you know snip it off and she's got this knife and she kind of like looks at him there's a moment she? when you think is she going to stab him with yeah I thought she was mm. at first but she's like what was it she said is is this really a knife I've got That's in my right. hand yeah. I, did she say are you dreaming or are you dreaming that I've got this Something knife like in my that. hand so she yeah. really mm. turned the whole mm. thing around didn't she and, yeah. and, and used everything that he'd used against her mm. in that scene mm. um, against him um, part of me wanted her to you know stab him in the neck but you know <laughs> never mind let him rot in jail instead yeah yeah that's um, yeah it was I, I was glad she didn't because I wanted her to live a, a long happy life with him um, well in those days um, because he was guilty of murder he would probably have been hung for, for that crime yeah and so, obviously if she'd have stabbed him as well then she probably would have right. ended up in prison which yeah. would have been a shame so, so yeah I definitely wanted it to, was to live a happy peaceful she didn't life stab him in the neck exactly um, yeah um, I suppose the other thing before I get on to the cult element which I, I do want to talk about but um, the other thing there is about mental illness and hysteria so um, the mm. idea of women women being hysterical um, has has been around quite a long time and was a was a theme in kind of psychiatry psychology psychotherapy and so on for quite a long time and um, I think that also plays into it and you see it actually you see that in the movies and even in I mean we've just watched the first the classic Star Trek episodes again haven't we because we love Star Trek but I think you you really there are episodes where you're quite where I'm quite shocked anyway about the way that you know oh, that hysterical woman yeah. you know that sort of thing it's yeah it's, it's quite frightening really it's, well yeah it is I mean you're almost well you're almost smiling at it now but it's not funny really is it it's um no it's quite sad that that's how women were looked upon and viewed for such a long time yeah and um it's so condescending, you know. So again, I, I, I'm a big fan of Star Trek, but I think you watch the old, the first series, the original series. Sometimes with you, you know, through your, through your hands a little bit. Um, it's not that you expect everything. You know, there's different. I understand there's different cultural um, sensitivities, and, and that's just a different time and all of that. But yeah, um, the casualness with which women are, are just is missed and um you know assumed to yeah be hysterical or um yeah um unable to do certain things just which is strange isn't it really we're saying this film's 1940 and if i think about um 
this is just randomly coming to my head now, like um, Mary Poppinsville. Mm. And you've got um, the captain's wife, who's a suffragette. Yeah. Um, and, you know, obviously around that period, there was quite a few women mm. that joined this group. There mm. was still a minority, though, but there were women that obviously mm. wanted a voice and wanted to do things that men did and didn't see a reason why they couldn't. I think that was 1920s. That's I right. So. Yeah, that's right. No, that. Uh, but I think what that also, also demonstrates is that is the the slowness mm. of how things. It takes time really for change to happen, and that's sometimes frustrating. Um, always unacceptable, I suppose. But it's just unfortunately that's the way it is. It takes it takes time, mm. and we talked about my upbringing and and yours. Um, I suppose around women working you know that when i was a kid it was you know certainly as a jehovah's witness it was quite frowned upon really if if your mum went to work you know that was not something really that was uh, was ideal so yeah um so the, the other thing i wanted to just knock around with you a little bit is the idea of whether cults or high control groups engage in gaslighting so it's often you know you often see references to this on twitter or or so on um and i've just been chewing it over what do you think do you think high control groups use this gaslighting technique in particular um making you think that it's you that's the problem when something doesn't make sense what do you reckon i don't know whether it's like in all Mm. uh, high control groups cults as we as we call them um but definitely just talking about things now after watching that film then yes is mm. my answer to that mm. i think they do and i think it's easy it's easy for them to do it as well mm. especially um if you're a vulnerable person um and a susceptible person mm. easily molded and um i think i mentioned before when we were just getting ready to do this recording that um like for example if you've lost a loved mm. one in particular mm. or you've gone through a, a relationship crisis um, then it would be easy to be put in that situation and, and for it to be used fault. for you and be mm. think, well it's my fault mm. anyway um, and maybe I did this wrong mm. um, maybe I did sort of imagine some of what happened to me mm. that's another thing mm. uh, literally that I've just thought of so I hate to talk about abuse mm. but we do talk about it because it happens mm. in so many of these high control groups and that is that then you might actually go back and start doubting yeah. that that actually ever happened to you Yeah. Um, and then the more you sort of talk about it with the high control group leaders maybe mm they will obviously encourage that and say, you know, things like, well, you know, do you remember specifics? And mm. if you can't, then maybe it's just something you've you've kind of imagined. Maybe they mm. maybe they just tapped you on the shoulder and then you've sort of, um, what's the word? Um, embellished it. Embellished it. it. Mm. And then it sort of, and then it, I think the more you think about that and if you're feeling trapped in a situation mm. anyway, then... You are going to think, well, maybe, maybe, did I imagine that? Yeah. And I think I, I could actually say in here now, I think I probably did that sometimes with what happened to me and my mum in the past. Mm. You know, parts of what I've talked about sometimes, mm. I kind of think, well, maybe, maybe it wasn't quite like that. Maybe it was, you know, maybe mum 
mum was, you know, doing this because of this mm. and it was probably because I behaved in a certain way. So, yeah, mm. I think literally just asking me that now on the spot, I've I've kind of come out with a lot more than what I probably would have mm. thought I was going to say, to be mm. honest. Um, oh, that's, that's a really interesting insight, actually. I hadn't, I hadn't thought about that, but no, that's that's... I'm sure that happens. And I think it's because of that power differential again, isn't it? Whenever you get these situations where one person has very little power and someone else has all the power, um, then it's it's ripe for that sort of um, abusive relationship, really. Uh, yeah, and even fault. within... So uh, relationships within um, high-controlled groups mm. so husband wife mm. relationships right. for example so literally just thinking about my own upbringing as a Jehovah's Witness if um if my uh, husband went and had an affair with somebody that's me yeah well I'm not obviously you know not, not saying that has ever happened <laughs> hypothetically, you know, hypothetically yeah. speaking as a Jehovah's Witness, as a Jehovah's right, Witness okay. but yeah. then it's going to be like well what what have I done Yes. Mm. What have I done that's caused mm. that? Mm. Um, and then, obviously, if the person's trying to cover it up, they're going to feed to me, like, well, I told you I was going to such and such, and you've obviously presumed I was doing this, and, mm. like, feeding me with the information and then making me think that, actually, it's me that's got all this wrong. You know, mm. so there's all yeah, sorts there's of lots situations of ways that it could, there, be, that used, it could yeah. be used. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, I was thinking about um, some of the beliefs, you know, some of the doctrinal beliefs mm. and, um, you know, things like um, 1975 and, uh, and another, I mean, obviously later on, by the time we, we'd gone, there, there were changes around the generation teaching and all of that. I mean, I feel like that's that's a classic example of gaslighting, you know, Um I remember during the 1975 thing I was a child but I do remember that there was there was guidance from representatives of the society that did suggest that the end was coming in 1975 now it's true to say that not all witnesses accepted that but there were people who were representatives of the organization you know pretty high up who were saying things that were pretty clear that's what they thought was going to happen after that to then sort of turn it back on the brothers themselves and say well you know it was essentially it was your fault because you were too eager that's that's gaslighting isn't mm, it that's classic yeah. gaslighting yeah. um also the generation change you know the the idea of this overlapping generation i think that that's um that's just so ridiculous that anybody that believes that are just accepting something because they feel like they have to. But I I assume that a lot of people will just say, well, it must be me. I don't really understand it, but it must be me. It must be my fault. And I think it must be me is is something that we've heard quite a lot on our interviews with people. You know, I thought it was me. I thought it was just me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was my fault because I it just didn't make sense to me. But I thought it was me. Oh yeah, I think <laughs> now you say that as well. It's because like I think I didn't understand it all get yeah. it because I didn't do enough studying. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't research my material for the meeting that That's night. Right. So obviously, I've come away from that meeting thinking I don't know what they were talking about because I've not studied enough. Yeah, well, doing the Daniel book, you know, so working out. Um, 
or Ezekiel's prophecies or the the time times and half a time and the the wild beast and the tree of Nebuchadnezzar and all these different prophecies that you'd sit and you'd like lots of the the people in the room were just completely baffled by it all and um, and yeah I think a lot of them would just go well you know it must be me <laughs> so I think that's another form of gaslighting really is it's like so ridiculous and so complicated that you just end up thinking well obviously these other people are much smarter than I am so I'm just going to accept it because they say it's true so therefore it must be so I think yeah I think um, I mean obviously we're just talking about Jehovah's Witnesses there but I'm thinking, sure like, other groups do the same oh, yeah business groups mm. like you know oh, these yeah. um what even things like um what's them timeshares yes they mm. would i think they would use gaslighting mm. because yeah i think like they fit the bill as well mm. so i mean that i think people that get you to sell timeshares they are a high control group yeah well there's i think there's a lot of like um, multi-level marketing pyramid schemes yeah. um those sorts of um, you've watched yeah. quite a few documentaries haven't you? yeah we um, need to do something on that actually in, in the podcast yeah Mm. Yeah. I think that I think that was really interesting. Yeah, I've actually, to be honest, when you first said about um, watching the film and then reviewing it, I mean, I was quite up for it, and you told me what the film was kind of about, and I was kind of looking forward to watching it anyway. But I, um, I didn't think we could talk so no. much about it. Surprising. I think we've um, uncovered a few things. Yeah, like gone off on little threads that's right the, the films made you think about as well yeah. in different areas so i found that really interesting yeah it, it was i mean there's another thing that i just before we sort of um move on there's another couple of things i'd like to, to just get in on the podcast before we finish um one is the actor um anton Woolbrook who plays the the bad guy um i did a little bit of research about him he actually He's, he's an Austrian, so if you've watched it, you, you'll recognise he's got an accent. Um, he's actually Austrian-German-born, um, but he was uh, Jewish on his mum's side. Um, and he was also, uh, well, we'd say gay now, but he was um, they didn't really use that term then, so he was known as a homosexual. Um, and he went to Hollywood to do some, some work as an actor. And decided it wasn't safe to go back to Germany because obviously this is around the time of the, the Second World War. The Nazis are in power, right. um, so he comes to England. He comes to the UK, and that's where he does this uh, this part. Okay, um, and that's kind of relevant for today because obviously it's um, you know Holocaust Memorial Day today as we're recording this. That is yes, um, and it got me thinking about all those people that you know, even the many people that survived he survived but his life was turned upside down because of it um and obviously many many people didn't six million people didn't make it out of there so i thought that was kind of kind of interesting and um yeah just showed you how how deeply it cut into people's lives really mm, definitely. okay well thank you for for doing that and um, there was one other thing that i just just occurred to me um and that was something we were watching the other day so it's all about watching stuff this because that's episode. all we do that's all we do we just sit and watch tv um but there was a, a series on uh tv it was actually an australian series that was on the bbc called the secret she keeps mm. um and i'm just going to get that up actually
Um, yeah, it's called The Secret She Keeps, and it's based upon a book by Michael Robotham. Robotham. Um, and it's, um, it's, I won't go into spoilers on that one because it's quite new. Yeah. So it's, it's probably a good one if you're interested in psychological thrillers. Um, it's a very, I think it's a very good series, but there's, there's a couple of scenes. So it just turns out that one of the characters, one of the main characters, has a backstory that she was raised as a Jehovah's Witness. Yeah. And of course, at that moment, your ears prick up, don't they? Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, and she was sexually abused in the Kingdom Hall. Um, so obviously that's that's something, again, that you think, oh, my goodness, that's kind of relevant and so on. Um, but there were elements of the scene that they showed you that just completely, I think... Um, undermined the show do you remember what those were yeah they um when they were sort of um like her memories weren't there right. her memories mm. um she was remembering the uh, abuse mm. um well rape obviously she was right uh, yeah. in the kingdom hall mm. but they focused on a cross yeah that's right on the wall and then there was another scene where she's on her knees supposedly in the kingdom hall mm. with her mum and her dad present and i think there was supposed to be three elders there yeah and it was like it was well it was bizarre wasn't it was it? a because bizarre they were sort of scene. stood around her yeah. and they were all chanting almost saying, saying repent, repent or repent, go to repent. hell you're gonna go to hell mm. yeah so there's the way they did that the cross on the wall uh using terminology like hell because that Jehovah's Witnesses don't believe in, in don't hell believe at in all, hell. and they they don't, and, and they also said um, we call for this woman to be shunned, and again mm. they they wouldn't use that. The whole thing just was so ridiculous that I felt that it really undermined, and um, it undermined the show, and it also I felt um, undermined people that had experienced things similar to that as a Jehovah's Witness. It kind of trud all over it for me. Yeah. So I actually feel quite strongly about that, and I understand that you know films and movies details sometimes have to be changed because of of the needs of a show and the needs to um, to kind of quickly make sense of things. But I don't think it's that I just hard. Don't to think find that was necessary. The facts, no. I don't think it's. I don't think it's a difficult thing to research um, some specific facts no. about. A religion. It felt really, really lazy. Yeah. Um, and just, just sort of assuming that this is what this is what this group might do. Um, but I, I feel quite strongly. So the the series were written by Sarah Walker and Jonathan Gavin, based on the book by Michael Robotham. Now I did a bit of searching um, on the internet, and it seems to me I haven't read the book. I have to confess, but it seems to me like um, the book seems to to go into the the detail in a much more realistic way because there's discussion about you know is this what happens with the three elders in a meeting and so on and it seems like that actually is quite realistic so he's probably either done his research or had some experience in that area but the way that they've adapted it for tv it seems like they've just just gone with something that is very televisual and they think that people will be able to recognize it but I felt that I felt quite angry about it. the The actual series was great. I, I thought it was a good series. Lots of really good acting in it. Um, 
yeah nice sort of twist as as you go through it but um but yeah that was um that was something that i think if you're gonna do something like that if you're gonna bring in cults high control groups and name them you need to do your research you've got to do your research and as I just said, it's not that difficult. No. I think if you go on Wikipedia and say, do Jehovah's That's Witnesses right. use the cross? Yeah. I think you would soon, you'd very quickly find the answer. Yeah. And I know some people say, well, does it really matter? I think, it, as I said, it does because it it just drives a coach and horses through the experience of people who have actually experienced exactly. things and like that. I think that. as well, because you made the point, it was Australian and obviously we've had the... That's um, right, the Royal Commission. The Royal Commission. So mm. it's obviously... You know, quite um, a recent thing that's been done. What? When was this made? Was it the actual twenty twenty or lots of it? So mm. I think you know a lot of people at the moment, especially within the last few years, mm. there's been a lot of discussion around Jehovah's Witnesses and abuse, etc., and yep. it coming out into the open. Lots of um, court cases being done. So mm. as I've said, I don't think it's that difficult to get the right no. information and put it out there correctly. That's right, yeah. So, um, I mean, I'm sure they will care not a jot what this little podcast thinks, but, but yeah, get it right, guys. You know, I think... Um, I'm going to email them. Yeah, cool, fair <laughs> enough. Okay, well, um, I suppose that's enough of, of our ranting for that. Um, so, um, thank you very much for stepping into Celine's shoes. Um, I've enjoyed it again. It's been fun. Um, yeah, the sound might sound a little different, um, listeners, because obviously we don't. We're sitting next to each other, and therefore we we do it in a slightly different way. So, hopefully, it doesn't come across too weird and strange. I'm sure it's absolutely fine. Good. Well, thank you very much for listening, everybody. Don't forget to like and subscribe and uh, tell your friends about the podcast. Uh, As increasingly other podcasts about, you know, cults and high control groups and leaving. So, yeah, there's lots to choose from, but make sure that our little uh, little offering gets gets a bit of a hearing. So thank you for listening and uh, see you next time. Yeah, and look forward to coming on again sometime. Cool. Cheers. Bye. Bye, guys. Bye. What Should I Think About is an Evil Sheep production. Oh, it's not been recording. Joking.